fans, and welcome back to another edition of The Trap. I am your host, Derek Bonecrusher Dennis, in the building with my esteemed co-host, Brandon Blue Labat. Blue, what it do, brother? What's going on this week? Not too much, Bone Crusher. Not too much at all, man. What's going on with you? Nothing much, man. Just chilling, man. Trying to stir up some controversy. Trying to keep keep my keep myself popping. Keep the fans wanting to hear about what we're talking about. You know. <laughs> What's the uh, the flavor of the evening or the afternoon? Doesn't it change a few times a day? <laughs> no, it is. I just wait to see if I see a nice little topic and I go. Well, let me throw my two cents in. But yeah. I mean, the hot topic the last couple of days. Well, today too is. The uh, Edmonton Elks, man, have been hit by the COVID-19 bug heavy, man. I mean, I mean, most people expected this to happen. We're trying to play a football season in the pandemic. But I don't think anybody kind of realized it would happen so quickly and at such a large rate, right? I think the team outbreaks was something that they felt like they could find a way to keep to a minimum. But again, you trust in guys who are young, away from home, uh, kind of wanting to explore and 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 feel the vibes of a foreign place that they're not familiar with to be responsible enough to play football and go home. So I know part of the reason why you decided not to play this season had to do with COVID-19 protocols and kind of your feelings on how you felt this season would go. Just kind of elaborate on that, especially with this situation being such a hot topic. You know, you know, what are your thoughts on right now what the Edmonton Elks are going through and what was your views on deciding whether to play or not to play based on COVID-19. Well, it's unfortunate, you know, to, to see what's going on there. And you'd like to point the finger and know who caused it or what's going on. But, I mean, it really doesn't change the situation. It's here. Um, that's how it goes. It's just, I mean, it's like a light switch. All of a sudden, it just it clicks on and, you know, COVID's real all of a sudden. And it's right there. And it's, you know, uh, wreaking havoc with the league schedule already. So it's uh, not good when you're, entering week four and you're already seeing that coming up and I mean from a player perspective I feel for them guys though you know like that's a that's another five and a half call it six percent gone off your your salary you know and when you're looking at you already lost four for almost 23 percent now you lose another five and a half I mean you're you're looking and you're closing in on 30 percent of your salary from what you started out in in January on what you signed signed up to play for so that's who I feel for I mean it's gonna really uh, you know test the the league's policy a lot earlier than I think they wanted to you know and if they're not at the 85 percent which I had read that they weren't uh, you know them guys are going to be able to check and that's another just about six percent off their salary gone so it uh, it's unfortunate you know to be a guy that uh was double backs and did his part to lose your check. And, you know, if you're going home to your kids or could you imagine being in that situation, man, and you're getting tested and you coming home to your two kids or I'm coming home to my three kids, you know, who aren't even eligible for vaccinations. And and now, right. I mean, like we're walking on eggshells where it's the pins and needles around here, you know, like is somebody sick? Do I have it? If I passed it on, you know, like I just couldn't imagine the stress that that would bring into to somebody's life, you know, and then to, to lose the monetary compensation on top of it. That's, that's tough. You know, that's the, uh, I feel for them guys, but hopefully uh, at the end of the day, hopefully there's no hospitalizations that everybody recovers. You know, that's the, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I completely agree with you. Part of the reason why I even went to get vaccinated was because mainly for my children and I have family members who who caught COVID. Like my parents caught it and they did like horrible with it, man. I'm talking about like 
they were down bad for two weeks and it took my my parents maybe almost a month, maybe a month and a half before they even felt normal again. So for me, that was kind of the eye opener, like, a, all right, if my parents couldn't handle getting COVID, I know for sure I'm not going to be able to handle it. And I got two kids. I don't want to be responsible for, you know, um, making my two kids sick, man. I mean, I spoke to a guy, my current job now, you know, I work in college admissions, right? And I talk to people who come from all walks of life and deal with all types of things, right? And I was on the phone the other day with a guy and he basically was like telling me how, you know, he was the only person in his house vaccinated. He had two young kids at the age of seven and eight. Both of them had caught the Delta variant and they both were doing really bad. He said one of his kids was doing so bad, it was changing the color of their skin like it was so bad. And I was like, bro, that's like a horror story as a parent. It's like, I understand guys want to play the game and, and you know, it's the passion, it's our livelihood, it's how we provide for our families. But it's like, you know, for the amount of money that, you know, majority of us are making, is it really worth it? You sacrificing, you know, maybe long, your long-term health, maybe somebody in your family's long-term, maybe possibly exposing someone in your family to, you know, to dying. You know, people are dying from this. Like, it's not a joke. So... I know I was one of those few people in the beginning where I thought like, all right, maybe they're just kind of blowing it out of proportion. Maybe we're kind of being a little too crazy because it's not like we haven't experienced, you know, um, you know, diseases or viruses that have come out of nowhere and kind of caught us by surprise. But, you know, it's like, you know, when H1N1 came around, like no one really batted eye. Everybody kind of kept going with life, even though it was very serious and people were catching it and was making people sick. Right. So that's how I was looking at it at first. And it wasn't until as things progressed and got in that I was like, OK, you know what? Let me be, even if I don't take it serious, let me take it serious for the people around me, right? Let me not be responsible for hurting someone else because of my negligence or because I wanted to feel like I was, you know, woke or, you know, whatever it may be, right? So whether I agree with it or not, I feel like I'm one of those people where I care about my fellow man. I care about the people around me. I don't want to expose anybody. You know, I don't want to do that type of stuff, right? And again, you got guys coming from guys who don't have kids, guys who are, you know, single, wanting to do what, think they can do whatever they want, whenever. Um, you got guys who just don't care. You got guys based off religious beliefs who, who don't believe in it. You got, you know, all this, all types of stuff. Right. So it's like when you put all these different types of people in one setting, how do you feel comfortable with trusting the live your livelihood to people who, you know, you wouldn't speak to outside of, you know, playing football. Right. I know we preach brotherhood and we preach family. But again, at the day, it's pro football, man. Sometimes guys go home after the season and they just worry about their own little bubble until it's time to come back. Right. So. Again, like, yeah, I, I, guys are friends, guys are cool, but, you know, not everybody's going to care about your family the way you care about them, right? Not everybody's going to care about your health the way you care about it. You know, you've seen it every day in locker rooms, and every player takes care of their bodies the same way. Everybody's different. Everybody approaches the game different. Everybody approaches life different. So it's it's a very tough situation. I know me as a guy who, if, you know, this was my main source of income and I didn't have any other source of income, I would be livid that I'm losing checks because guys are just being negligent or just being just not being smart or not just taking into consideration like, hey, it's other people who are depending upon you to do what you need to do, whether you like it or not. It's the end of the day. You're playing a team sport. And at the end of the day, everything you do is a reflection of the team. It's a reflection of the organization, a reflection of the players, coach, you know, all that stuff, right? All the stuff that we preach, right? But it's, it's, it's realistic. So my thing is, if you're going to do it, do it right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's motto I grew up on. My mom always told me, yeah, if you're going to do it right, do it right, you know? Yeah, see, like, it, it just magnifies it, you know, like what guys do 
on their own time, their extracurricular activities. Absolutely. Should be abiding by the protocols and, you know, they're just relaxed and in the, uh, the provinces are open, you know, Alberta's been open since Alberta's wide July. Open. So it's, you know, it, I don't really fault the guys young. It's like uh, for what they're getting paid, if you're a rookie that's making, you know, supposed to be making $60,000 and now you've lost 23% of that before you even got up here. So you're down to like 48 you know, so it's, you know, from 45. Old school CFL dollars. It is, it is, you know, like that's what, I, that was my first deal in 2008. That was league minimum, you know, so it's, uh, it's just tough when it's regressed and, like that. And then these guys come up and they're going to go out and enjoy it, you know, and I don't fault them for that, you know, like it, if anything, it should have been on, I feel like the league should have had more, more in place in terms of the contact tracing and, you know, doing doing more lockdown and actually having some control over the guys and, you know, monitoring them because I mean, right now we're just running the, you know, the, the honesty system more or less, you know, <laughs> and and now it's become real, you know, and I'm sure there's some guys that are going to be rethinking their decisions, but up until then it was just, you know, a set of rules, but it didn't really have that real impact. And you mm-hmm. know, once it starts hitting your checkbook, it gets real in a hurry. So I, uh, Absolutely. I for them guys, man, to, um, to be that long, you know, without your, your football money coming in and then you finally get rolling again and, you know, it looks like you're going to be out another 6% and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. You didn't even have control over that situation. You know, like right. you always want to be in control of your situation and, you know, somebody in the locker room went out and, you know, I, I, I hate to vilify somebody, you know, like, did they just go to rest and like, we don't know where this came from. So it's like, I, right. Like, Oh, that guy, he brought it in here and he took everybody out. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter where it came from. Matter of the fact is it's in there. So it's in there now. Yeah. You know, that's kind of, I don't, I don't even care to know like where it originated or how it got in there. It's like, if we cared to know that, then there should have been contract or contact and tracing implemented like we've seen in other professional leagues right from the start, if it really meant that much to us to know, you know, but I don't want to see anybody get crucified and, you know, more or less like you brought the the plague in, you ruined our season, you lost me money, you know, it's just like, and nothing good is going to be cu- come from identifying who was the original person to contract it. So right. I think it's just, I mean, deal with it as is, you know, and they got to move on and just hope everybody's, healthy and try and contain it you know like you just don't want it to get spread out anymore or linger around any longer than it has to be there so i mean it's damage control full-on damage control yeah i mean that's clearly what it looks like right now because uh part of my thing was like okay well now we know you guys have a certain amount of cases well who, what's the names who are the guys right because then you can kind of get an idea of i mean we know as players what certain guys are and what they do and you know what? It was kind of like a, it's kind of like an unwritten rule. Like we know our teammates, we know what they do. It's more like a, you know, like how it is in army. Don't ask, don't tell. You know, whatever you do outside the building is what you do. Just as long as you're being smart about being in the building and doing your job and making sure you can still play football at the end of the day, right? So, my thing is now when we're in the world, the world of COVID, you know, you got. I'm sure the t- team knows who tested positive because they got to do contact tracing and know who's been exposed and who's been around. I think they're pretty much predicting it's going to be some more positive tests because naturally, I mean, guys were around each other. They didn't find out till Sunday. What they played Thursday, uh, probably had Friday, Saturday off, right? So you're talking about they didn't find out till Sunday. So you're talking about guys possibly being around each other for two days, unbeknownst to them that the guy next to them was being reckless or exposed to something, and then you're finding out 
there's possibility it could have these guys could have been out there before the game, right? With it, because if it takes the 96 hours to kind of you know, it does take a couple days or whatever, you know, like it could be there is there is that possibility. So I don't yeah. know, man. It's going to be one to to watch unfold. But the main thing is hopefully everybody's healthy and nobody's right. No one's no one's hospitalized. Sick. Seriously, right end of the day. Yeah, I, I pray that guys are healthy regardless of you know. Whatever it is, you know, relationships or whatever, man. At the end of the day, that's something serious, man. I, I know I know a young man who attended my college who played in the NFL who caught COVID last year and it pretty much like derailed his career, man. He was hospitalized like two, three times. Talk about a young 22, 23 year old guy who they, everybody claims that could, should be able to be healthy and handle it, right? It, it messed him up, right? So no one really knows. That's the thing that, that scares me the most is that it's so unknown what it does to each person that you can't just take that mindset of I'm young, I'm healthy, I'll be able to handle it, right? Because you don't really know your body, what's going on inside your body, right? Until it happens, man. There's plenty of stories of young people passing because they're dealing with stuff that they have no clues going on with their body because they're just thinking, oh, I'm healthy or it's nothing or, you know, and then boom, you know, something, something crazy happens, right? So God forbid that happens. I pray for everybody's health and wealth, regardless of who got it, man. I hope guys are doing what they need to do to be responsible, but yeah, um, yeah. Well, I guess we'll just monitor the situation right now. It's looking like I, I, they talking about postponing the game. I mean, the game's postponed. They're talking about rescheduling it. Honestly, if you got double digit guys who have COVID, I honestly think they're not going to be able to play the game in a week, right? They're not going to have a roster, or you know, what I'm saying, what's the point of you just putting guys out there just to put them out there to play a game when you know now you now you're exposing guys who may not be ready to get hurt. Now you're exposing other players to possibly, you know, being exposed to injury because you got guys out there who don't know what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's really, it's an overall health thing, in my opinion. So, I think, um, I think, yeah, man, it's not looking too good. I think probably the best bet is just forfeit the game, man. Um, unfortunately, if 85% of the guys ain't vaccinated, then that's, that's a game check you lose out on. Possibly. And, and if, that's the bullshit rule. Yeah. yeah. Like, man, like, if you're double vaxxed and you did your part, you should you should get your check. You, know? you should get you your check, home, yeah. You get your check. Like, I, I just, but it affects the other team, too. The other team is, is if, if they're so, not uh, – yeah, Terrell's going to lose a check, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the sad part. That's the sad part. It doesn't just affect them, you know. So yeah, it uh, yeah. And then and now that now you're putting the Labor Day games in jeopardy too as well because if guys are really sick, especially if it's star players, think about it. I know they they said that Trevor Harris didn't have it, but let's you know for sake of saying, like in my opinion. It was they was pretty quick to kind of rebuke that. So I'm kind of skeptical in the sense of. You know, I mean, I get it. If the guy didn't have it, it's not cool to put that out there. But the the speed of which, like, they tried to stop it from, like, snowballing makes you kind of go, hmm, type of thing, right? So, um, but my thing is, think about it. If your star quarterback has COVID, your star wide receiver has COVID, your star running back has COVID, I mean, bro, that's two weeks. You're talking about Labor Day now. You're talking about possibly – having a four for two games, guys, it, it, you're literally talking about maybe two or three games where guys are not going to get paid or not going to be able to play or, you know what I'm saying? So you're not even, it's not even one week. This is something that could carry over for multiple weeks because that's really what has happened with guys in the NFL. When Cam Newton caught COVID-19, he missed two, three weeks before he came back. So you're talking about substantial money that you're losing. You already lost four games. That's seven games of not getting paid. 
after taking a 20% pay cut or whatever it was, you know, some guys didn't have to take 20, but most of the guys were taking 20 or more percent of a pay cut. So now you're talking about almost 40, 40, 45% of your money gone before you even get it. And before it's even taxed, even before it's converted, like, bro, those dudes are playing for arena league money right now. Like it's, it's not worth it. That's part of the reason why I didn't go. Cause I just, I did the math in my head and it's like, uh, I just bought a house. I got a mortgage. I can't really afford to be not too many loopholes for you not to pay me. Right. I, I got to stick with what's, what's kind of certain. I don't trust you enough to, you know, put, to make sure that you're going to give me my money out of, you know, buddy system. You know, clearly front offices don't, don't operate on the same scale that players do. We know that. So yeah, but that, that, that's, that's, yeah. You know, your knees are going to be all right. What's yeah, you going on now? You know, like, yeah, man, I can wake up, my back's not hurting. The sacrifice is less, you know. The pay, it is what it is, but it's you right. Know, the, the sacrifice and the risk, you know. And this is unfortunately the not the it's ultimate. It's the future, man. It's a, it's a yeah. risk that these guys are are under. So I really, uh, I feel for them, man. That's uh, yeah, that's I do stuff, too, man. You know, Absolutely, to be an outsider like what we were just talking there. But it's uh, think about going three weeks and you're not getting a housing check or nothing or like. It's got to be brutal. Yeah, that would be terrible. But you know what the worst part is? The league had a lot of momentum going. Like, there were some good games last week, you know? Like, things were just starting to snowball, pick up. We're starting to get, you know, the on-field product improve a bit, I thought. And it was just, you know, everything was trending in the right direction. And then you kind of get hit with this and get an unnecessary black eye. You know, it's kind of end up looking like, you know, when you're – going to be the first professional league to have to, you know, cancel games like the NFL was able to reschedule and kind of get around it. Whereas, yeah. you know, this is kind of up in the air still, but that's, that's the toughest thing. There's just uh, so much good momentum that the league needed after having that, that missing that year and having so much time off and to, you know, to see that all get kibosh and all kind of be, you know, stunted here because of the COVID and, you know, unfortunately the riders aren't playing, you know, that's a huge draw this week and they're on bye week so that, you know, there's just not a lot to kind of cover and, you know, cover this one up. It's not like you can just get some makeup or get another team to kind of take it off this one. Like this one, this is going to be the, the big story. So that's the, uh, that's the, the bad thing is all the, the good thing, all the speed that the league was picking up is just, you know, big, come to a grinding halt kind of so yeah absolutely too bad because last week we had great great football games you know great football games so that's uh that's a tough thing you know yeah nobody's talking about that on-field product getting better we're talking about you know what guys are doing on their own time and who's got it and who doesn't and all this other bullshit that you know that's takes away from the game it does you know and it takes away from our podcast because we're here to talk about football (laughs) (laughs) right right let's let's try Transition into the football stuff, right? So for the technique portion of the show, we're going to talk about zone schemes, zone blocking, footwork better. So zone schemes are a big thing in offenses now, and it's something that's very prevalent in what offensive linemen need to be really good at, right? Now you see teams, especially in the NFL and, and college, a lot of teams are transitioning to those big athletic guys who can move, can play sideline to sideline, not just go north and south like how, you know, football was when we were growing up as kids. So, B, for, uh, for you, you played for a couple of offenses, played for a couple of different offensive line coaches. Um, when it comes to zone schemes, what are techniques that you felt like 
always kind of made you be successful in the zone scheme game? And what do you feel like is probably best practices for being successful at executing a zone scheme? Well, I'm going to touch on your last one first, and I'm going to say that one of the things that best execution is going to be setting ourselves up for success in the way the play is designed. Right. And I think, yeah, I look at a lot of teams right now, and inside zone is just so meant to roll back, you know, behind the the double team that they really never give the front side any chance. And by not getting any expansion on the front side, you know, they're, they're putting the defensive end in, if the ball gets handed, it's too close to him. He can make that play, you know, whereas if we get any sort of front side expansion and we get that running back to move his, you know, put him on a little different landmark where he's on the outside hip, potentially of the front side guard rather than on the inside hip, of the front side guard. And he reads more of that, that front side B gap. Then, uh, you know, I think that, that you, if the ball does roll back, it's a little bit closer you know, if, if we're running left, the ball's slightly more left and we've taken that defensive end to the, that was on our right, and, you know, just a half step. Because a lot of time it's an arm tackle, but when he makes the play, you know, he's, he's getting two and he's kind of getting somewhat of a wrap. He's never getting ahead across perfect tackle. So, like, you we're, we're talking the difference is like, a you know, a foot and a half to whether we're, we're going to break this tackle and get into the second level or if we're going to be, you know, stopped for a one or two yard gain. So I think that's one of the first things when I just look at the a lot of the plays is they're so heavily reliant on rolling the ball back behind the double team that we don't get enough front side expansion on the, the three technique. And I think we're we're making the making it tough on ourselves the way that we we let the defensive end uh, manipulate what you know what's gonna happen or what the quarterback's read is where so I think that's the first thing. But then once we get into the actual individual block, um, you know, obviously it's it's that feet, head and hands, in my opinion, are the big things. And um, feet, we want to, you know, start with a good stance. And if you keep your feet somewhat around your shoulder width, I've always felt that just naturally your first step in your zone, you don't have to gain a whole lot of width or, you know, depth, especially if you're going to be the front side um, of the combo block. So it's almost just naturally when you go to move, your foot will kind of, you know, set itself and get you that little bit of width. And, you know, some guys call it the bucket step, but I almost felt that almost naturally took care of itself. And I was always heavily focused on the second step. Like from my stance, I was already thinking step two. Step one just kind of happened on its own. I was always a big step two guy. So it was how fast you could get step two in the ground. And then, you know, like uh, we see a lot of, Guys, you know, particularly the front side guard is a big hold. You know, we see a lot of the bear hugging guys and guys are getting letting the D lineman get two under their chest and kind of getting popped up. And then we end up trying to get into a wrestle and a bit of a bear, you know, a bear hug and torquing them out into the, the gap. And it just doesn't give any, you know, front side expansion and just makes it way too congested in there for when that ball cuts back. So, you know, when you get, get it in with that double under and you get that low, you know, you don't have to hit win on the, the initial strike, you know, it's all right. If the D lineman hits you first and he hits, hits you up in the shoulders, if we bring our hands underneath, I've always felt. And then, you know, obviously the, the quicker the guy is to get off, the further we have to have our hands out in front. I've always thought, you know, like if I got somebody that's going to eat up my cushion right away, I got to have my hands almost already out. Whereas if I got somebody that's going to, we're going to almost butt heads and then roll through it, you know, I can keep my hands in tight and roll them out late. So 
but that was always every every single time you know it's always a double under with the palms up and in my opinion that's the only way you know that get that double that bit lifting and then they get that hip roll but i think yeah. one of the parts that uh man when i think back to it like bob wiley was always a get your head across so if you're running you know zone right and say you're the left guard and you had a one technique in the a gap and inside there it was imperative that you got your head across the block you know like your your backside eye would have to get you know either to the midline or even to the front side point to that guy's number you know like mm -hmm. it was always head across i can remember so many times being in this sort of situation you know but when you win that head levers, it just forces that D lineman to have to respect the lateral movement. He can't get reached, you know. So when, as soon as you put your head on that front side, he's got to replace his hat and get back to his front side gap, you know. So they, it just puts a little bit more on him. And I, I think, you know, because that was the way it was always taught is we're taking the, the D lineman to the read spot in the back. So we wanted to get that lateral flow so that the ball naturally rolls back. Right. You know, whereas like I think – when you put the front side guard on with that three technique, just one-on-one, -on -one, you know, or you're saying he's blocked by alignment, just keep him blocked, keep him out in the B gap. Right. You know, and you, the guard just ends up walling him off, puts his walling ass him off. and doesn't do nothing. You know, we see right, right. on the edge, they do the same shit, but that all changes as soon as that front side guard, you know, changes his helmet placement just to get a little further out to that front side peck. Yeah, absolutely. That three tech, you know, so he gets a little more covered up. All of a sudden the back doesn't see as much color, you know? So I think it just, it gets a whole, a little bit more flow, you know? And when I think back to episode, so one, one of the things I was talking was that wide zone, you know, where you kind of get more of that front side uh, expansion. And I, I think that that's a, a huge thing and, and why teams are defenses are winning right now. And it's because the front side guard isn't getting any front side expansion. We're letting the backside DN crash down and, you know, he can make the, the play when we give it off. And if he, right. we're, we're not moving the read spot of the back laterally at all you know everybody's so big on we're going to get this vertical push and vertical push and i've seen some great double teams on the weekend you know but should there be nothing more frustrating i can think back to when we had some you know we could hit a double team put a, the three tech on skates and we're six seven yards back right and give the you know put them right into the lap of the linebacker and Oh, ball gets pulled, you know. So some of your best blocks in zone games, right, right. ball don't get handed off. So that's the uh, that's the unfortunate part, you know. The like your best work, you will never get highlighted because the ball ain't cutting off your ass like it should be, you know. Right. So it's uh, that's 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 the the negative of playing in RPOs, especially in the CFL. Everything is kind of RPO based, so you never know, right? For us. We feel like the ball should be handed off all the time, right? But we don't never know what the quarterback's reading or how he's feeling, right? So um, that's the part that, you know, kind of hurts because it's like, man, you feel like you got a double team going and it's rolling and all of a sudden you see the defense running to the sideline. You're like, ah, oh, he threw the he threw the damn out. God damn. <laughs> uh -huh. But uh, for me, yeah, for me, man, um, honestly, so I play for a lot of offensive line coaches, right? And two of the kind of prevalent schemes was I had offensive line, offensive line coaches teach zone schemes and like two man pods, which I hated. I didn't always agree with the pod thing because a lot of guys would always get locked into just playing into the pod and not scheming the whole defense. Right. Because especially up north. In Canada, even ain't even down south, you're gonna deal with line slants. You're gonna deal with movement motions, right? When you're running zone schemes, you have to be able, be able to always account for those, right? So the schemes that I always liked the most playing in 
was the ones that always taught guys to kind of the unit to play together, right? So it was always dependent upon look. You could have a three-man pod in the middle. You can have a tackle guard pod. Oh, you can have a center guard tackle frontside pod, you know, back, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it changes, right? And then you always had to be able to adjust it on the fly, right? Because what you practice is never what happens in the game, right? You're always going to get looks that you're not prepared for. They're going to do something. You know, you may get that Aaron D. Lyman who's like, he thinks he can make a play and does something absolutely off the, off the Richter of what you've been practicing all week. And then you're like, bro, what? Like, you know what I'm saying? So you got to be able to adjust on the fly, right? So for me, zone schemes, what I always liked is teaching um, proper eye placement. So like, say you're in a center, um, you know, center guard, uh, pod. So you got a you got a, a front a center and a backside guard pod going right now based off of so you're playing an odd, I guess an odd look right, but there's a possibility where okay maybe that end shifts to from a five to a three and then the outside linebacker walks down outside the line right. What call are you going to make to adjust for that type of movement? And I always like okay center makes a call and now it's a middle three man pod. It's not just him, you know or when it's on the fly, say it's, it's you know, we've you've played in games where you could kind of see it's coming. They haven't showed it showed it yet, but you can see it's something that they're going to adjust to once the ball is snapped and you get that five slant to a three and then the outside linebacker plays outside. You can get on the front side, you can get on the back side. Well, how do you know where to put your eyes and your feet to adjust for that, right? Well, I've always liked it where zone schemes were taught where, Body body placement, your, your, your placement of where you put yourself is based off of where the bodies are, but your eyes will help you kind of direct you on where you need to go when you need to go there, right? So let's say you're playing in a two-man power with the center, and you see your linebacker shift over front side, and you know you can't get there, so how are you going to adjust for you getting there and that the other two front side guys, Justin? Well, now you turn into a fly. Hey, okay, post up. Eyes, you see him run. You make a call. Hey, you know whatever, soda, and you're saying, say, call soda, and soda tells you, hey, now it's a three-man pod, it tells the front side guard, hey, I got you inside so that you can push, you know, type of thing, and everybody pushes, we used to have line calls whenever we had funky looks where we didn't know where they were going to go, if we had an idea they were going to shift, and we just didn't know where to go, and we wanted to just, just kind of cover ourselves, it would be, uh, um, we would just say, uh, like a uh, like a code word that meant full line slide like everybody's working gang. together all five gang, gang yeah gang or yeah and like that's what you have to be able to do like in the uh later in the season because teams know you have to be able to run the ball in the cold so then they're going to start throwing all these line slants and you're going to get your five man looks with some crazy right. shit and dudes adding in and fitting in and yeah, I mean, you have to be able to just in in a playoff football game. You have to be able to just go up there. You're calling inside zone, just like gang gang, and everybody knows. You know, if I'm the front side guard, I'm keying that five techniques near knee. If it doesn't come to me, I'm going one two check, and then I'll rewind back into the one bounce my way up to the wheel linebacker. Are you a two step? Are you a two step or a three step read guy? So like for me, I used to adjust it just it based off of the scheme, right? So we were running full outside zones. I was reading three steps, right? If we we're doing inside zones, then I'm reading one, two, eyes there. If there's nothing there, okay, boom, I'm out of there, I'm going type of thing, right? So I've always felt that that's kind of just like I, I would get a read off of 
what the linebacker tells me when to go, you know? So if the linebacker's hanging up, yeah. five, I got time to rewind, you know, if, if but that's going to be based on your back. So it's like, the, that's where you, the more you play, you know, it's like, you know, your back is like, this dude is like disciplined as hell. It's like when they tell him, get to the heels of your offensive lineman before you make a cut. And then it's like, he's really going to press it up in there, you know, and he's going to set yeah. the, the linebacker down to you. So you don't have time to hit that rewind before you go up, you know, but I've always thought that it, the game will just decide it. It'll tell you what to do if you just know where to key you know so if you're keying right you know that near knee and your eyes go from one to two you know and then you work back to three you know it's just like it, it'll all work itself out but the key is to not be in a rush you see a lot of young guys that is like one two gotta go you know and yeah they're down in a rush to get out of there, there. there. The, the, yeah the they're leaving they're leaving a double yeah, team <laughs> They're leaving a double team before they even get into it. Like, hey, man, get the fit and then read it type of thing. My thing was I was always good at cleaning up the read. So, like, even if I was at guard, I'm talking about if I saw the slightest bit of color for from the tackle, I'm I'm knocking the deep, I'm knocking it out so I could clean up the read so I give the running back somewhere to go quick, right? Because essentially most running backs, they want to be able to make their decision quick. Some of them don't, like you said, some of them are impatient. They don't want to be able to get to the toes and then fill it out, right? So for me, I always tried to help out the running backs, and I used to do, you know, what you say, clean up the read. So if it was it was one, two on the third step, if it was anything there, I was booming it and I was climbing. You know what I'm saying? Like if it was if it was if it was one, two, and and the tackle was just you know hanging, and I saw he wasn't getting the push to open the gap up, when okay, I'm let me let me let me knock it out on my way to because linebacker is always going to read it, right? You get a linebacker who's a heavy overflow guy who's just going to as soon as he sees the run going outside, he's going to push over the top. Well, then there's no need for me to leave you know the guard out to hang at a tackle because the tackle's already fighting with the end. Well, I'm just going to sit here, post my hand. I'm going to keep my eyes. Well, the linebacker's heavy flow. Okay, boom. Let me let me post up, let the center get his fit, and then I'm going to go clean out the whatever the tackle got. Even if I got to knock him out with the defensive end, at least that opens up that B gap, and now the running back can just put his foot in the ground and get north and south, right? So You know what's unfortunate is that there's like there's a lot of schemes out there where the, the running back would actually be wrong if he was to hit that front side B gap. So if you get that three technique that slants like Yeah, know, yeah. You got those coaches who teach that automatic backside cut like gotta be backside. You that know? was McAdoo. I hated that. I played in a lot of I played in a lot of schemes like that, you know, like I can remember mess because mess was always good for that. If front side yeah, cut back he's hitting B gap all day long, you know, like if, Three, three comes in, balls hit and B, you know, and he would be like one of the few guys that would consistently hit that, you know, but it, yeah, it's certainly in the in the last few. And I see it more and more just based on what you see in that front side guard doing. You're seeing the front side guard almost starting to block like front side tackle is where they're just blocking the. Yeah, they're just, they're just trying to wall them off. Yeah. Wall them off, you know, it's like that's, that's not going to work like that. No, nah, you got to push it, man. And it's actually a, a terrible way to get hurt, you know, because that DN's coming in. Train's coming. And, and he's going to come in. He, he's going to be an arm tackle leaving his feet. And he's going to tornado right into the back of your legs, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, Pat always said that. Pat always said, "Move your feet because the train is always coming." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, especially when you're doing the wall off, putting your ass in the hole. There, that is, and that's not good. So, yeah, man, the, uh, that's the biggest things, you know, in uh, playing because it is so popular in the league, you know, and having uh, some experience in it. That's always been like kind of my my biggest things there. And so yeah, I'm, I'm the hand placement thing never got me. You know? Yeah, the hand placement again. I'm like you, man. I'm hat placement. 
Um, um, cause, cause D lineman is, is all about gap integrity, right? If you know defenses and how they play defensive linemen are taught, especially when they get runs is gap integrity, right? If you got the B gap, you got to make sure you in that B gap. And if you not in that B gap, then you're going to get, you're going to get ringed. So, and, and the only way that they're going to say you're in the B gap is if your head is in the B gap, you know? Right. So if you don't win hot leverage, you, you ain't one. Yeah. You ain't, you ain't going to be in the gap. So that's the uh, that's the beauty of, you know, using what they they know against them, you know, so mess with their reads a little bit and then they don't know that's it. When you run outside zone and they're, you know, then that opens up the naked game too. Up, everything starts to work off. Yeah, yeah. Naked sell naked sell way better when you get a nice zone block scheme going and then all of a sudden they see your hat go outside and they're like, oh, they're doing it again and they just turn and run and then it's like, okay, dummy, it's a bootleg. <laughs> Yeah, but nobody's biting on that front side guard just walling off, you know. No, nah, no one's biting on that. That play is, you know. Yeah, no one's biting on that. Absolutely. So that's the uh, that's the biggest thing, you know. Is it'd be nice to see. Were you a big? Were you like a wide bucket guy? Were you like a short six inch, uh, second step? You know, like keep your base for. I would vary that based on the the shade of the defender that I was going to, you know, if he was a little looser on me, I'd try and get a little more width on my first step. But if he was pretty tight to me, then I'd keep, keep it short and tight, you know, and like, I can think of like a two technique when he's head up on you is just like a pretty much pick up, put down right in the same spot. And it's like, you've taken two steps, but you really haven't moved, you know? So you're just kind of buying yourself a little time until it declares, you know, if right. slant and if he's going to two gap you, like whatever you got coming, you know? So it's just, uh, that's the biggest thing is I think it's, it's easy. And like, as fast as we always practice, so we do all these individuals and it's how fast can you go? And you're going one, two, if you go out there and you try and go at that speed in the game, you're going to end up on your face probably, you know, like, yeah, for sure. no hitters all, all day long. So there's, there's just such a tempo to it. You know, I think zone is just like, yeah, you develop that tempo and not being in a rush to get to the second level and uh, hanging on your, on your down blocks, on your, on your down yeah. defenders. And that's the, uh, that's the biggest thing. And it just comes with time, you know, after you get your ass chewed for climbing up to the linebacker and leaving your it's too quick, man. Yeah. So it's definitely a field thing like, from experience. It is. It is. Yeah. The backside tackle. I know for me, the difference in, doing zone schemes up north as opposed to doing it down south was zone schemes down south always felt a lot easier to me because we don't have to and here in the u.s you don't got to deal with that yard off the ball right so it's a whole lot easier to get your fits because they're pretty much like immediate right you know if you got a three tech on you as a guard down south well he's already on your outside shoulder so you know your bucket step is going to be your bucket step in your in your hat placement is pretty much going to kind of be immediate and you got to be able to get that backside hand into like an armpit or backside plate to kind of get that movement that you're looking for right because you're not going to be able to created like you can up north because you already got the space to work with to kind of be able to move to get into your fit right the fit's pretty much immediate so um i always like like for inside zones down south money outside zones down south those were a little bit more of a challenge um especially like for backside cutoffs because it was like man a, a Backside cutoff up north was already hard enough for the guy having space, right? Because you got to do, you got to take an extra two steps that you're not normally used to getting as a down south, right? Down south is like once you get the, once you open up and take that second step, you can pretty much get right into that that backside cutoff fit, right? But up north, you at least were going to get in five, four, five steps before you can even get that fit, right? And a lot of young guys, especially for young Canadian offensive linemen, I feel like 
were always really impatient because they're thinking, okay, one, two, three. Oh no, I'm not there. Like what's going on type of thing. And they're not thinking, all right, maybe let me get a little, like for me, my backside cutoffs up North, I always got a little extra depth because I knew it was a lot more space to cut cut to cover. And if I was flat, my fit would be horrible, right? I'll probably end up getting into the wash and not getting good push, right? But if I put a little bit of a curative curve into it, when I got that fourth step in and I really ran, my fit would be a little better front side hat, front side hat, and I could get a little bit more of a couple yard push. Now, if you get that running back who's able to see the wash going and put his foot in the ground and make that backside cutoff right off my butt, when it now turns, turns it goes from being a four yard play to a, 10, 12, 15 yard play, possibly, you know, big, big, you know, big open up hole. So um, that was always something I always had to take into consideration. And I think, especially for um, young Canadian linemen, I think, uh, which is always kind of like, a, like an adjustment, right? Cause I remember being in Carolina um, in 2013 and David Foucault was, that's when I first met David Foucault. Um, and David, like he struggled really hard making that transition from, playing the Canadian game to playing down South, right? Because everything was happening way quicker than what he was used to, and he just couldn't conceptualize the speed difference. And <laughs> I feel for the man, and I'll, I'll just relate it in quick on uh, my one experience playing with the no yard when I played at the East-West Shrine game coming out of college. And we were taught, and so... You're a Shriner alum? That's crazy. So am I. Yeah. Yeah, no. I oh, that's dope, man. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. We were down in Houston when I went down there. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, no. That was sweet in the Shrine game. But anyways, I went down there, man. I had never, ever done any reps. I, I worked with Andrew Green a little bit. He had tried to give me a little bit of, like, a, a heads up on what to expect. And uh, But we ran. So when we were in college, if this is my left guard stance and we were running zone left, we would actually try and gain ground on our first step. So you can imagine how that's going to work when you got no. And that's up, no. Man, I, I watched our little uh, Waddle. I think he played at Fresno State, 265, 270 pounds center, flat back and dude. And I look back at it now and I can remember exactly how it went. It's like his first step went back, his second one went back, and he like dropped low and just like dipped right underneath the dude, like picked him up flat back. I'm out here. I'm getting hit like one and second one's in the air, just getting jacked up. And shit. <laughs> like, I had no idea what was going on, you know, but that's just so like, I can, I can kind of feel for, you know, for if you haven't had. Yeah. Yeah. If you had, you're not used to it. Or you weren't used to like getting that depth on that first one. Like I had, I'd never done that. So that was, that was crazy to me. And I learned the hard way how important it is, you know, to get your. Yeah, for sure. And use those first two steps to drop your hips down. You know, oh yeah. The things Wiley taught me is like the good run blockers actually lower their hips down after their first two steps from where their stance was. You know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. In college, that was my that was my bread and butter. That's how I used to used to roll grade dudes. I would do quick. The one two, you know, it's crazy because that's that's the difference too for me. Like the first two steps down south are quick. It's kind of like a pity pass, like like yeah. like real fast. And the ones up north is more like a it's more like a like a little yeah. a little slower. So down south, I used to be quick with it. Ball snap, lift right up right up under dudes. Like just drop my hits. So to go one two on a second step, I'm dropping and, and I'm I'm forklift you know from there and just yeah. driving. So that was my bread and butter. So when I got up north, I think what kind of helped me was probably playing arena a little bit before that because arena kind of was similar to the Canadian game, but. 
Um, I had to really learn how to be super patient, right? Because I think my first couple games, I was so fast and I was moving so quick that I was like putting myself in the sleeves in the run fits where they didn't feel right to me. And I'm like, man, why do these run fits not feel right to me? Because I'm normally really good at getting my run fits. And then I had to realize with that yard off the ball, I had to be a lot more patient with my steps and I had to be real like methodical in the sense of where I was putting my body to get those fits because the game, I wouldn't say the game is slower, but the space requires you to be more patient. So, um, yeah, so I mean, that, I mean, I, I, I made the adjustment pretty quick, man. I, I've always been a really cerebral player, so I made the adjustment pretty quick and it, it worked out well for me. But, um, yeah, definitely that's, that's um, I think, uh, at least for, you know, young Canadian offensive linemen to, um, especially in like that, the beginning stages of, of growing up and going through the game, man, I think is, I mean, I know it's probably expensive, but I mean, if the parents could send them to like maybe one summer scrap up some bread and send them to like maybe a U.S. camp where they could kind of get that, that feel, that, that, that feel for, you know, kind of playing both, right? It does wonders for your game when you have that experience, man. I'm, I'm pretty sure for you, like after experiencing the East-West Shrine game, it was like when you got back up north, it was kind of like a, okay, all right, this is, this is, uh, it, it's like, you know, you learn a little bit, a couple tools that you kind of, kind of add, it's kind of made everything not seem so, so crazy, right? Especially because you're going against American crazy. D linemen up, up, up yeah. north. I would have never, uh, like, even up until today, I would have never even have recognized that. But now that you say that, I can look back and um, how much my game did improve from when I went down to that and I got that experience of going against those bigger D tackles or the, the the fast or whatever you want to call them. And then I I be strong down there, boy. When I went to the uh, when I went to the CFL combine, it was just, that was probably my best performance I've ever had in one-on-ones, you know, like it was just, yeah. didn't matter if I went out to tackle and if I was inside, like it was some of my most dominating wins happens the next time I was on the field after. So right. now that you actually say that, that might actually have, have some merit. Too. Hey man, it does, man. I'm, I'm telling you, man, it does. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, let's, let's get into the CFL picks of the week, man. Close it out. Uh, unfortunately, we lost the game due to the, um, you know, as we talked earlier in the show with the COVID night break with Edmonton, that game is postponed. That was a Thursday night game between them and the Toronto Argos. That would have been a fun one to watch. Uh, but we got first game Friday. We got Hamilton and Montreal. Who you got? What's the matchup you want to see? And this is, uh, that's going to be a, a good game there. I mean, I really don't know. I think Hamilton's due for a, a bounce back. And if they get, you know, if Dylan Wim and Teddy are both going, because we still haven't seen them, you know, both right. be out there in the same game, you know. So if they get back and they're both healthy and uh, playing at a high level, I, I do like them because that was the, uh, the one thing I didn't really recognize a whole lot of names, you know, outside of Tony and uh, Matt kind of in – Montreal, I didn't recognize uh, too too many guys. I think oh. they had uh, Jameson, who was playing some tackle for him in 19, is playing center for him now and looked like a, a new rookie at left guard. So that'll be a, a big test. You know, I think that that Hamilton D line, I keep saying, I think they got some horsepower there, but, you know, we got to see it in one of these games too. And I think hopefully after the bye week that, uh, you know, we're going to start to, but maybe, you know, it, I said it a couple times that I thought the the Hamilton offensive 
body language was bad, you know, some of the receivers and some of the guys out there. So I don't know if it's just like a, a whole team thing or what's going on out there, but if maybe if the offense gets rolling and uh, some of the linemen will start getting juiced up a little bit because it just doesn't seem like they're uh, <clears throat> producing and, you know, being as di disruptive as what I think they should be when I look at them on paper and knowing what those guys can bring, you know, I, I consider them to be a, you know, that's a, a tough day's work to go out there and play against that crew, you know, but when you look at what's happened to him in the previous two games, it just doesn't look that way. So I'd, uh, that's going to be the big one is, you know, can the relatively unknown Montreal uh, O-line hold up to what should be, you know, all the horses out there on the field uh, potentially for Hamilton. And it, that'll be the, uh, that'll be the big one. I mean, VA's uh, slippery and he's making some guys miss and buying himself. Ooh, some extra that time. boy is fun to watch, man. It, he is, you know, but uh, I mean, it, it, I think it's a different deal when it's them interior guys, you know, and there's no place to kind of scramble out, you know, those DNs when they get pressure, there's still a little bit of room, but when that pocket gets pushed in from the, up the middle there, like uh, Teddy and Dylan should be able to do, then, then, there shouldn't be too, too much room to, to scramble out of there, you know, especially if uh, yeah. the ends are going to, you know, keep a little more contained on their rush. But we'll see, man. I don't know what to expect anymore. I watch some teams and they're getting, you know. Man, we've been picking the wrong teams every week. <laughs> but, like, there's just – it seems like there's a, a big – variance in how teams are getting attacked you know like you, you yeah. see some teams and they're getting twisted all day long and they're it's almost like they feel comfortable running those naturals and just letting the you know the end can lose contain because we don't really we're not scared of the quarterback speed but then you look at a team like Saskatchewan or even a Montreal and they haven't seen as much twist you know and I think it's because their quarterback is a little more faster and can get out on the edge and you know has that that threat to run and they just don't feel good about putting that D lineman that D tackle out there for contain you know so you're seeing a little bit less games on a more mo mo more mobile quarterback sure man yeah um this is definitely going to be a big game for Hamilton they need to win this in order to have a chance to still win the west and end up where everybody predicted them to be right uh, but I don't expect Montreal to have two flat performances um, uh, back to back. I think a lot of what I saw from Montreal in the Calgary game was they just seemed to be getting caught off guard. Like um, they couldn't figure out the snap count. They couldn't, um, you know, kind of get a read on exactly what Calgary was doing. And you could tell it was kind of frustrating some of the D linemen, right? They just, um, well, I guess it looked like they had a game plan going into it and what they were expecting to be able to do, they couldn't get to. So um, I don't expect them to have that same issue with Hamilton. Um, I think you'll probably see the Montreal we saw in Edmonton show up. So I, I'm going to go with Montreal, man. But Hamilton is definitely due for a big game. They need to show up. Right now, Hamilton's offense and what they're doing with the offensive line, I just don't see them getting that figured out, man. I just – I could see – Montreal having a big, big game on the D line, knowing who or who they got in inside. Yeah, man, Van Zyl's hurt. He's, you could tell he, he Van Zyl didn't look like himself in the Saskatchewan game first half, and whatever injury is nagging him, or if he caught a new injury, I don't know. But he didn't even end up finishing that game. Man. the guys that they got, they ended up cutting. The, they cut the guy who played started left tackle for them in the very first game of the year. They already yeah. cut him. So yeah. right now, I just I really. See, uh, yeah, I don't know what Hamilton's doing. Their offensive line is is they're the worst line in the league right now. And if they don't get that line figured out, doesn't matter who you got at quarterback, 
they're in for a long season, man. Defense is not, you know, defense is, is playing well, but they're not shutting people out. They're not stopping offenses, and their offense can't put any points on the board right now. So Hamilton got a lot of holes to plug right now. So, and right now, Montreal is, they just coming off of a flat performance in a sense. Like, I don't think they're a bad team. I think they can figure it out. I don't expect the CBA be as bad as he was in the Calgary game. I think he'll figure it out. He's he's an ultra competitor. He's a guy who's going to try to figure it out. So I expect Montreal to win this game. Um, but is Hamilton due for for something something big to happen? I think if they go 0-3, you can pretty much almost stick a fork in their season, man, because it's not going to – especially you're not, you're not winning East games. you got to win the East game. So this game is a big one for Hamilton. So, But I'm going with Montreal. Uh then the next one we got Montreal is the play on yeah. that one. I do think yeah, for sure. I, I expect their D line to have a lot of sacks from uh, twists. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, let's go. Uh, Saturday game, we have BC and we got Ottawa. Who do you got and why? I'm going BC. Just I think. Uh, it's better, you know, and Ottawa just hasn't shown me enough to really put a lot of fear. And I know we were talking on the game in the Saskatchewan game there. When you look down the, the roster, there's just not a whole lot of guys on offense that are really striking fear into you, I don't think. You know, I think they got good schemes and they got some, you know, good building blocks in place there. But I think it's just uh, and they're, you're trying to win with some young guys right now. And that's going to be tough to do, especially in a, in a short season where you're Guys haven't had enough time to really get up to speed. So I don't uh, expect a whole lot out of Ottawa. I would expect uh, BC. But one of these things that I do want to see, and I know I've been harping on it for a while now, is see something out of the BC D line besides just get off and trying to just, you know, bull rush guys to the quarterback, you know, see some shimmy and shake or some sort of move. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think that's, I don't think they have the personnel for that. Man, you don't see none of it, you know, like you don't even see yeah, they don't have the personnel for that right now. A hand swipe or anything going on. It just, everything is just playing it down the pipe, just pit it up like it's a run and just try and push and, you know, collapse the pocket, just bull rushing. And yeah, just, I don't know, inside, I would expect to see a little bit more uh, move at some point. Cause I mean, those guys would be, uh, I don't think that'd be the toughest game you could play. I think Ottawa's old line should mm-hmm. look pretty well inside. This this should be their week to uh, show well, I would think. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you from right now, BC is down Riker Matthews and they are down. Looks like they're going to be down Joel Figueroa, right? So they lost both their starting tackles. And from what we saw in the Edmonton game, they don't have any depth, all right? So BC's line is almost kind of looking like they're about to be on par with Hamilton, right? And Ottawa's offensive line is just as bad as those two as well. So, I mean, I noticed the show we want to highlight offensive linemen, but it's pretty tough, man, how the way these guys are playing, right? So there are some guys that got some bright spots in there. Um, I think in uh, the interior of Ottawa's offensive line has been doing decent. Sass game, they struggled a little bit. But again, you got Michael, you got Mac. Those are probably two of the best D tackles the way they're playing right now in the league. So, uh, Saskatchewan definitely has one of the best D lines in the league. Man, them in Winnipeg have pretty much been lighting teams up. So, um, right now, um, man, I'm going to go BC. I mean, I, I like Otto's defense. They showed very well against Saskatchewan. Honestly, um, the, they defense played well enough to win. It's just the offense just couldn't put any points on the board. I think if their offense had to find a way to, one, to score one or two touchdowns, Ottawa could have won that SAS game. So, um, I think their defense is really good. They got some nice pieces. They've been playing really well. 
Um, they got a chance on defense to kind of hold BC's offense at bay. Now, the question becomes, can Ottawa's offense actually put some points on the board? And if they can't, then no matter how good that defense plays, it's going to be really hard for them to win games. So, um, and I don't think it all falls on Matt Nichols. I think Matt looked a lot better last week in the SAS game. He was throwing some good balls, but they just don't have the weapons, man. So, um, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be a close game, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go BC. Uh, especially too, I think BC has the edge of special teams as well too. But you know, you got Chris Rainey who has a chance to kind of you know bust a touchdown from and once he touches the ball. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna go BC with that one. And then we got the last. Uh, so we got the last Sunday game. We got the Calgary Stampeders coming off a big win, uh, and we got the Winnipeg Blue Bombers coming off a big loss. Uh, so who you got? What's the matchup you want to see and why? I'm going to go with uh, Winnipeg. I don't think they're going to drop two in a row. I think they'll bounce back. And, uh, you know, they look like they just kind of got lulled to sleep by playing in front of a small crowd, you know. In, in Toronto there, they just came out and it was, they were down and didn't look like they were them regular selves. But, I mean, certainly not compared to what they are at home, you know. When they're at home, that defense is really flying around. And I think it's a whole lot tougher on the opposing offenses. So, as much as it would be easy to say that, uh, you know, they didn't look the same, yeah, I think that mm, you, they're not going to when they don't have that home field advantage. I think that that's a, a huge thing that we probably don't value enough is just how – It's a big red flag for me. That place is to play, you know, and then them guys, I mean, they feed off that energy. That place is always bounce and they come out and it's uh, – I mean, I'm not surprised to see them go out and, you know, more or less lay an egg out in Toronto where they're playing – front of 10,000 people and not a whole a real big atmosphere compared to what they are but uh, I mean I still think that on their D-line especially on the edges Jeff Coat and Willie are you know that's probably the number one duo out there I would think you know for tackles so I would uh, you know to go against that would be my my assessment, but I think they really miss uh, Richardson inside. He does a lot for them, and you know they they work so much naturals, and that's kind of who they they base it off of. You know, is that that shorter he gets out a little wider, and he's all about that that quick get off. And if you don't completely take away that B gap charge, he's going to penetrate, and there's no way to really shut that down. And then the the ends are just smart football players that can read off of them. So I think they really missed him not having him out there and the. Uh, the guy that filled in didn't have have the get off or the the leverage that he plays with, and I don't think uh, a lot of their games that they were getting to were working. But uh, one guy for Winnipeg that we don't talk about as a pass rusher that had a really good game pass rushing was Biggie. You know, Biggie. He um, he's always been very good at it, though. He is. He, he's he doesn't do it a lot, but he's good at it, though. Man, he comes full speed with a. He's got a head so short. He comes and he gets so low short. and he's got really good dip. And he, he, what's what's funny to me is like a good dip like Copenhagen. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, guys like that. You know, like you got to be able to adjust your game. You know, you get a guy like Biggie coming down at you. Just go ahead and get your hands a little wider and just catch him. Get your hands down low by your knees and just lift up and catch the dude. You know, what do you? Well, do it's one of two ways to block him. Yeah, that's one of them. You know, like if you're gonna set him right on the line and like not give him any space, then yeah, go ahead and jack. You know, like short set him and fire the hands and be super physical with him. You know, but like when you, he's not there, right, and you got to kind of set back because they were giving him up uh, out of the, a lot of them thirty looks. You know, he'd be rolling kind of down. So 
you kind of right. miss that, and you got to be able to, you know, potentially he wraps around the nose, so you, the guard can't just go ahead and just jump him on the line and lock him down right there. No. They, you got to be careful though, because they run games. They run games out of that with him with defensive end. Yeah, he'll definitely run a run a, a middle linebacker, uh, a DNT, kind of like a pick 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 stunt. Where he'll look like he's coming downhill, and you think, oh, okay, he's about to pass rush me again, and then he like turns and just darts at the tackle, and then the DN just kind of reads it and wraps inside. So, yeah. um, that's definitely something you gotta you gotta keep your eye on for with them. But uh, yeah, man, you're right. He's 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 good at rushing the passer for a middle linebacker. They don't do it a lot, but when when he does it, man, if he comes off the edge or he's coming down the middle, he's very shifty. He's he's been good at he's been good at that for years. He's done it in BC. Um, he's doing it really well in Winnipeg. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go. I mean, it's hard to go against Winnipeg. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to drop two neither. But, uh, I mean, Calgary got some tricks up their sleeve, man. They, uh, they definitely pulled out the trick plays. Um, they've always had great game plans against Winnipeg. Um, and I know for a fact they're not going to give Willie no one-on-ones. Um, again, it's going to fall on Jackson, Jeff Coat to win. And right now he's winning, right? And most teams are going to probably going to double, triple Willie. And Jackson's going to end up getting his one-on-ones. Right now he's winning. He's, he's, he's looking like a young Cam Wake right now. I made that, I made that, uh, reference, even though I don't think he's that elite, but he's looking like a young Cam Wake right now, especially that play in the Toronto game. Did you see the tackle? Like, didn't know the snap count. Uh-huh. Just turned and looked, and then just stopped. Like he just watched. Even after the ball was fumbled, he was just standing there watching. And then he was like, the, "The ultimate! I've never seen a lookout block delivered like that." Like, that bro, was, that was, was like I'm out. Just like, yeah, like, all right, you got it, buddy. Go ahead. <laughs> like you're not in practice where everybody just kind of stumbles and everything. You know, yeah, dead. Like that's a real live bullet. Like that DN's about to kill your man. Bro, yeah, man. I feel bad for Buckle, center, man. You know? I feel bad for Buckle. That's my boy, good. man. He looked good. Yeah, man. He looked good, man. So right now, that's that's the recipe, man. They they got the weapons where Willie's gonna get the double teams, man. So yeah, you, when you win mo when you win modp, man, you all eyes are on you. So if you think you're gonna get them 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 island blocks, you, you can tell Winnipeg try to set him up for success by moving him inside. He was getting a lot of wins. Now he's always been good at getting wins over guards. And on the interior, I was actually just going to speak that when we were talking on Biggie because Charleston was out there doing the same thing. Same thing, yeah. Winnipeg, and they were putting. Yeah, that's like what what it goes down to, and normally you don't see it in week three or week four of the season. Normally, that's like in your week six, week five, six, middle of the year. Yeah, you know, like even late in the playoffs, they like to save those matchups and not give a team a bead because. You know, like once you start lining the guy like Willie up in the the inside like that, then the guys just start working that tag where the the tackle goes down and then the guard just kicks out to the DN and it just like confuses their read and delays them a second more than anything. You know, right? I don't think it's great matchup. I don't like doing stuff like that. That that works in a run game. I wouldn't do that. Like a sneak, you know? Yeah, it's like it's like a change up. Change up, yeah. It is, you know, but. I mean, yeah, we're going to start seeing that more and more early on in the season, it looks like, where teams are going to just find, pick, identify the weakest link and get their number one pass rusher over top of them. Pretty much, man, because those guys need wins right now. That's that's what they pay for. They pay for it to get wins, right? So um, they're definitely going to try to put them in position. Winnipeg's always been good at that. I think, I think they're kind of uh, – the D.C. and Toronto is coming from Winnipeg, so I'm, I'm sure that's why Charleston's doing it. He's kind of bringing that, okay, well, this helped Willie – you know, get some one-on-ones and, and kind of use his pass rush to, to create some pressure. I think 
the game, the third game, Charleston created a lot more pressure than he was in the first two. Um, I know he's he's livid right now because he doesn't have a sack on the board. And, you know, you know, that's my dog. I call him Hancock. If anybody knows, I call him Hancock. But that boy loves sacks. That's that's his thing. That's his that's his whole his whole reason for existing right now. It's his whole that he wanted the sack record. He wanted to be the king of the CFL. Yeah, man. So if you're on the field with him, you know you gotta listen to it. Sack. He screams it all the time. Practice. Or, or if he gets matter. close, he gonna he out the you hear that laugh. <laughs> I almost got close that time. Yeah, like shut up, bro. No, you yeah. did it. Yeah, no. Yeah, man. Bad. It'll be good to see where they line him up and get him some more matchups, you know, because he is going to get home here eventually. He had a few good, really good rushes where he uh, – Yeah, he did. He did, man. He didn't get the reward at the end of it. So. Yeah, he did, man. He did, man. So, yeah, I don't think Winnipeg drops too, but I feel like the game will be a lot closer than people expect, man. Calgary's not going to go in there without a solid A1 game plan, yeah. especially knowing that they're playing with a – Second, third string quarterback in uh offensive line is kind of patchwork right now. They should probably be a little healthier this week. Um and then uh yeah, man. So I mean I I wouldn't I don't ever don't ever bet against the system. That's what I like to call Calgary. But uh Winnipeg is definitely the team to beat. And this will be a big game, man. If Calgary can get this game that kind of puts them back into the race. And now, you know, Winnipeg now is what? Two and two, and Calgary is two and two, right? So now all of a sudden it gets real interesting. So this is going to be a that's a big game on Sunday. So um, definitely going to have eyes up on that match. Maybe 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 that'll be our CFL game of the week. Possibly we'll we'll do the we'll do the Stampeder when it play Blue Blarmer game live. Um, sorry for the people tuned in. We had uh we had over six hundred people watching. So, um, man, it's a nice, it's a nice crowd, man. It's a nice crowd of people, man. We got some nice all, all across all platforms. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna send out another invite for that. I guess we'll we'll, we'll do the Stampede Blue Bomber game Sunday. Um, uh, are you free Sunday? Yeah, sure. yeah, we can do Sunday. Yeah, that that'll be a nice game to do. So we'll set up the live. I'll make sure I get all the technical difficulties uh, hashed out. We'll get the game streaming. We'll have blue, blue and I side next next to the game, give, giving our play by play color on what we're looking at, and we'll have some fun with it. All right. Well, we appreciate everybody who tuned in. Uh, thank you guys for supporting us. Um, again, always, um, you know, follow us on Twitter um, at our personal accounts, Six Bone Crusher Three, Brandon Labatt. Um, I'm definitely working on getting a, a show uh, Instagram once once we get the cloud up. I'll, I'll make a show one, but right now we we'll just we we'll just use the juice we got off the personal accounts. Um, follow us for content on YouTube. Um, find our YouTube page. We're on Twitch. We are on um, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we're up across a number of platforms. So whatever you like to get your air candy from, wherever you like to get your eye candy from. We're pretty much on everything. We're going to keep pumping out as much content as we can. We're definitely going to try to get a guest on this week, um, possibly um, uh, maybe a D-lineman this week, give it a little bit different flavor, we'll talk about some D-line matchups. We'll get one of our OGs um, on here to talk some stuff with us, reminisce some stories. And, uh, yeah, so that's it from us this week. Appreciate you guys listening. As again, always, you know, if you got any questions questions or any guests you want to hear about, please let us know. Um, look out for the uh, live game of the week, Sunday, Stan Peters versus the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And that's it for us here at The Trap, man. We will catch you all again next week. Well, I'm out.